0: Good morning, church. Video got you there at the end, didn't it? Did for me, at least. Uh, Today, we are going to be starting a series about grace. And my objective in this series is to create more confusion about grace than than clarity that I provide. Because I believe that we've simplified grace down into something that is easy to control, easy to understand, easy to explain in a short sentence. But I believe that grace really is indescribable, but it is something that has to be experienced. Because the experience of grace is where the transformational power is. And that's why that video hits you in the stomach so hard. Because I can talk about grace. I can talk about incredible love. But when you experience the hand that reaches into your mess and says, your mess isn't just yours anymore. Your mess is mine. There's something that grips to our heart and we get it to a deeper level. And so in this series, it's not really my objective to provide you with a really concise definition of grace, but I actually want to expand our understanding about the scope and the power and purpose of grace in our life. Today's passage, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 10. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And we'll put this up on the screen as I read it, starting at verse 3. And the Apostle Paul writes and says, For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance. So let's just make sure we understand this is where the big spotlight starts. The thing you have to know that was passed on, it was of first importance, was that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, to most of whom were still living at the time of this writing, though some have fallen asleep. That means passed away. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born for I and the least of all the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace that was within me. And so as we talk about grace, and we'll just put up on the screen, grace is, if you were to finish this statement of what grace is, how would you describe it? What what are the words that would come out? And I apologize. I'm going to go back and forth in my notes a little bit. But the words that would come out, and I'm going to do it almost like a taboo game. Taboo is a board game where you have to make someone guess a word, but there's certain words you can't say. So if we can go back to my taboo card, and if I said you had to explain grace without saying some of these things like unmerited favor, that's one of the ways that in church we like to describe grace. Or you can't say prevenient grace and you can't get into the theological definitions of the Greek word cares or sanctifying or forgiveness or I'd add into there because we'd go into song mode and be like amazing grace is a way to describe it but if I took away those basic things that we always default to about how to explain grace and say how would you explain grace God's grace to someone what are some of the things that would come out of your mouth and I'm going to tell you that whatever they are, they they fall short to the experience of receiving grace. And in Scripture, when we read about the grace that had this transformational power in the Apostle Paul's life, it wasn't things that could just be put to words. In the same way, like if I tried to describe to you, you know, Niagara Falls, it's a waterfall. I mean, that's true. But if you ever get to go to Niagara Falls, it's this experience that will stick with you because as you get close to the water, the sound of the water going over the cliff, it, it, just, it makes your chest vibrate because it is so loud, it is so powerful. It creates this breeze that goes off everywhere around Niagara Falls because of the power of it. I can talk about the experience of being in the ocean and when there's powerful waves and how they push you around, but until you actually get into the water and you feel a wave crash over your head that's so strong that it drags you along the bottom of the ocean floor, you will not really comprehend the power of that water. And in the same way, we can talk a lot about grace, but have you ever experienced the grace of God? Because so many people have this external experience with church and this external experience with the grace of God where they know about it and they can describe it, but it's never been something that took root in their heart and in their mind and in their life. And to those people, and I can say those people because I've been one of those people, I can remember the days where, where I was just so critical of church and all of the things that they talk about, all of the things they do, and the fact that they gave money and the fact that they served at the time, until I was there one day when grace actually took root in my heart and I experienced the power of it in my life. There's a difference between externally knowing what grace is and being able to describe a definition. There's a big difference between that and having had an experience where you saw the the grace of God at work in your heart and in your life. And so today, as I try to create more questions or just kind of advance our thinking of how we talk about grace, I think I'm going to pick on moms and dads with illustrations today. So understand it it will be somewhat equal. But, you know, the, the, the terminology of our series is your mess is mine. And that actually comes from a song. It's a lyric from just a secular song where, where the, the lyrics of the song say, well, hold on, my darling, this mess was yours. Now your mess is mine. Your mess is mine. And in trying to create some experiential words that, that talk about what God's grace is, that is a great explanation. Your, your mess was yours, but now your mess is mine. And I think that one of the people who've said that really well in a lot of people's lives have been mom's. Because when you move out of mom's house and your mess is no longer hers, no longer hers anymore because you're not under her roof, you recognize very quickly. How did all this laundry get done? How did these dishes always get put away? How were everything always so organized and the things that it needed where they were? Because you had someone in your life who they didn't ask for permission to put a hand of love, but they would see, okay, you have something going on and I will help you. And, And we get that to the scale of in a family, but there's something that's true that in our life when we have a mess that we're in the middle of, when we've created a mess, when we've made mistakes, when we have taken the wrong step, when we've said the wrong thing, when we've broken a relationship, when we've fallen into an addiction, there is a certain pain and loneliness and suffering when you feel like your mess is only yours. And I believe that that, that it, it helps us better understand God's grace when we use this terminology of your mess was yours, but now your mess is mine, because this is what God says, and it's interesting because God first of all says that he he loves you so much that he sent his son so whoever would believe would not perish but would have eternal life, that when you put your faith in him, he says your life is no longer your own. It's been bought at a price. You are his now. He says, your mess is his, but one of the instructions that he gives to his followers in James, it says, confess your sins one to another so that you'll experience healing, so that you'll have healing in your life. This whole concept of your mess is mine, it's all part of grace, I believe, which is strange because when we think of confessing sin, when we think about bringing something that was hidden out into the open, we just think of punishment, like, like I got in trouble and now I have to admit it and they're making me admit it. And that's what we think about when we think about confession. We don't even think about grace. We just think that's like the punishment period. But I wanna tell you, confessing what has been going on, allowing someone to see the mess that has been in your life and be open about the mess that you've had, that is part of grace. Because there's an expectation of judgment when we allow someone to see our mess. But what comes from God is not judgment, it's forgiveness, it's restoration, it's healing, it's freedom from that addiction that has been holding you back and holding you back from the will of God in your life. And part of that should happen within the church as well. The body of Christ was meant to be a place of restoration that when you find yourself in a mess that you've made, you can grab somebody else by the arm and say, I need help. And right at the beginning of that, God's grace should begin moving through a follower of Christ to you. That's part of the picture of grace. God's grace is on display through people, but there's this struggle that we have when we have a mess because we have a sense of, well, my mess should not be part of my story. And I want you to see from the Apostle Paul's example in here, the way that he spoke about his life. In verse 9, he begins to say, for I'm the least of all the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. If you're you're not too up to date on who the Apostle Paul was in Scripture, before he was a believer in Christ, he actually legally was given authority to go around and persecute the church. And so what he was doing is he was finding any groups of believers and he was having them arrested, having them punished, having them put to death. I mean, he's sitting there looking over and making sure everyone's cloaks are in a safe place while the angry mob is putting to death Christians. And that's what he was doing. And so this is an equation that you might be familiar with. It's like, I know that I should, or I feel like I should get better in my spiritual life in this area, or I should serve in this area. I feel like I should, but I have these mistakes in my past. But I have this addiction that I was tied to for a long time. And if people find out about the mistakes that I've made at church, then they're not gonna want me there. They're gonna gonna be angry at me. I, I don't have a perfect history. And so I can't possibly be the person They would step into that ministry role. But the Apostle Paul says right here, but by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I love the way that he says it. And In the Greek, it kind of reads almost like this sigh in the midst of it. It's like, I am that I am. And it's this statement, this realization that all of Paul's story isn't included in his apostleship. All of his mistakes, it's included in his apostleship. The calling that he had to go to different churches and plant churches and write letters of instruction and guide and disciple and mentor new believers. All of who he was was part of that story. It wasn't like now I'm deleting out and I'm pretending that it never happened that I persecuted the church of God. That's not how his calling to ministry worked and it's works and that's not how your calling is going to work either. You're not going to ignore or pretend that the last five years, ten years, twenty years of mistakes that were behind you didn't happen. And in fact, you know this. That if someone comes to you and they start giving you life advice and, there's, and they say, you know, let me just encourage you a little bit because in my life God's blessing it's just always there. I mean, from the time that I was little, I. Always had every single thing that I wanted and when I turned 16 I got a brand new Ferrari and I got to drive that all the time until I graduated at nineteen from Harvard with my master's degree and then I got my doctorate by the time I was twenty and I've always had millions of dollars and lived in a huge mansion and had the perfect spouse and perfect children and so just be encouraged. God is faithful. And if someone shared that story with you, halfway through the story, you would be debating, do I just punch them in the neck right now or do I ask them for a ride in their Ferrari first? Like, I mean, like, because all of their advice would be useless to you because their story was just perfect all the time. And we recognize that we don't want a perfect story from someone else, but we have this, this weird ego pride buildup thing that says I have to have a perfect face on for the other people if I'm gonna be involved in, in my spiritual life. That if I'm going to be engaged in the church, that if I'm going to serve somewhere, I have to be at the end of the story where everything is perfect and together. It doesn't need to be that way. You can be exactly who you are right now, chasing after Christ, having things that you're fighting through, being in the middle of a mess, understanding that having a mess in your history was part of your story. You can be honest about all of those things because you know the times where you, where you're, someone has really had your full attention, where the times they say, you know what. I walked through depression like that one time too. But God won't leave you there. And he'll provide people to be around you as you walk through it, if you'll let the people be around you. And they can begin to speak wisdom and truth into your life. And you listen to them because they have had a similar mess to what you have. And so first of all, as a starting point, I believe it's a biblical truth that you can be who you are right now. And that's not to say, just stay stagnant in your sin. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying, if you're in the middle of a fight, be in the middle of a fight. If you're in the middle of a mess, be in the middle of a mess. But be someone who is pursuing and moving towards the things of God, fighting to win that fight. Because, the, and this is the, 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 the first real point of the day is that your mess is part of God's message. The mess that you're in right now, the mess that you've been fighting through, that's part of God's message that he's going to use to encourage someone else. And quite honestly, the greater the the mess, the greater the impact that you're going to have on someone else and the greater the story and God will do greater and greater healings than you would ever expect. And this is part of the power of grace. And, And you might be in the middle of the mess and you're saying, okay, I need to figure out how to get out of the mess that I've been in. Let me tell you one of the things that by God's grace that he's instilled in you that you know how to do. You know how to chase the wrong thing. And in fact, the same word that the Apostle Paul used when he says that he was persecuting, pursuing the church towards their destruction, when he was persecuting them, he uses that same word again in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, very familiar verses. But he says, not that I've already obtained this, he's talking about getting his spiritual life right, getting his relationship with God right, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. When it says press on, that's that same word that is used for persecute. I press on towards the goal that that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In verse 14, it says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. It's that same word that's used for persecute. It has this idea of pursuing after it. And in the same way that when you were caught in addiction and you would pursue after that fix, in that same way that you were caught in a sinful habit and you would wake up thinking about it, chasing after that small thing that you knew was outside of God's will. The same way that you had a mentality to go after that, now you need to turn that mentality towards the things of God and say, I need to pursue God even more because He fulfills even more deeply than that that sin, than that addiction than that problem that I was in before, God will fulfill my heart to an even deeper level. And the thing that I pursued that was destroying me, I'm gonna pursue that which will heal me with even more passion because I know this about God. The more that I have of him, the more that I want of him. The closer that I get to him, the, the more that I recognize his power is far beyond anything else that I could ever ask or imagine. And so we have to press on after him. And if you want something to compare it to, think of the sin that you chased after before and say, am I chasing after God that, with that much heart? Am I chasing after God with that much money? Am I chasing after God with that much of my thinking space? Like, how am I pursuing God? And the, the, the beautiful thing is that in the middle of the mess, take all of that experience and say, I'm going to turn all of the way that I thought about those things towards getting things right with God. And that's how I'm going to think about the things of God. Because his grace, his love, it's going to remove me from those things. But the evidence of grace in your life, there is evidence of grace in your life. we've seen this so many times. We've been this. We've seen this in the mirror plenty of times where it's someone who says, and they could explain to you about the things of grace. They could explain to you about God's love and how extravagant it is. Like they could talk about some of those things, but you just didn't see it in their life at all. Like it it was external. It wasn't internal to their heart yet. You've seen this. You've probably been this. And the apostle Paul talks about this in, in verse 10 when he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Do you catch that? That the grace, this love that God gives us, it should have an effect on who we are and how we are. And one of the evidence that you've actually received this grace of God is that it begins to turn and change your life. It changes your priorities. It changes your thinking. It changes the way that you think about yourself. It changes the way that you think about God. And it certainly should change the way you think about other people. And I'm sorry I'm going to hit the table about that, but grace cannot just be something you receive, because if you received it, you just have to give it away. That's what grace is. And so when we have churches in America that are just known for hating people, that's a problem. And I stand for holiness, and I stand for righteousness, and I stand for living a life where we die to self and we live to God, but the end result of living to God should be an expression of compassion. And so the grace of God that we receive that it, that, that it moves our sin as far as the east is from the west it can't just be dealing with our sin. It has to change the way that we see sin in our world and sin in the people around us. And so we, we allow God's grace to forgive us for our past, for our mess, and that becomes part of our message, but we have to extend that grace to other people. In the same way that it took time for us to get our, our faith worked out, we need to allow that to other people. And so in verse 10, when it says his grace to me was not without effect, one of the challenging questions that I'd give for you to ask yourself is what effect has the grace of God had on my life? Have I, have I forgiven myself for my mistakes? Have I forgiven those who harmed me during my childhood for their mistakes? Have I forgiven the person who was close to me who should have been trusted for their mistakes? Am I forgiving my neighbors for leaving the trash cans out for two days too long? (laughs) Whatever level it's at, what is the effect of grace on your life? Have you allowed yourself to step into the calling that you know God wants you to be in despite your past? Where's the power of grace been at? At work in your life. The, the video that I opened with, I, I think that it, it, it hit my heart so hard, partially because I was like, oh, this video is going to be terrible, like for the first 75% of it. And then they got to that turn where it was just such a good picture of grace. It's like she didn't deserve, she, she didn't, they didn't appear to know each other, but it was just like, I see your pain and like my hand is available to you. And how that, that act of compassion can lead to tr- life transformation, because the next video, the, the the next part of the video we see is just her being baptized. One of the evidences of grace is obedience, and one of the first callings to a believer in Christ, as as they they their faith, the faith becomes their own, is obedience and baptism. And we're having baptisms August twenty first in two two weeks from today, and and so for you. If if you've made a declaration, you've made a decision to follow Christ, has grace pushed you towards obedience into what Jesus teaches in regards to baptism? And I understand in any area, and I'll I'll pick on baptism because that's coming up on the schedule, but in any area of your life, there's going to be fear about taking that step of obedience. There's going to be fear of what will people say. Let some people help carry your mess. If part of your mess is you never took care of this, when you first believed in Christ and it's been 40 years ago that you made a decision and you should have dealt with it back then, be a testimony to someone else who, who has been waiting to obey Christ in that area. And whether it's baptism, whether, whether it's working on your marriage, whether it's being the person you should have been at your job, beginning to take those steps, I understand it, begins to say, well, people will see my mess. Well, you serve a God who says your mess is mine and you have a church around you who says you don't have to be perfect. We will help carry your mess because part of your mess becoming carried by other people is letting it be known by them. As we think of grace being at work in our life, the apostle Paul, his confidence, his confidence to be an apostle, his confidence was high. His confidence was he would pray and he would see people raised from the dead. He would pray and the sick would be healed. He would speak in front of religious leaders who believed that they had it all together and they knew his mistakes. They knew what happened in his life. And he would speak with such supreme confidence. And Paul's confidence was rooted in the power of grace. Not just the concept, not just an idea, but the power of what he had seen do in his life and the lives of other people. And band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm gonna begin to close this, close this out. I wanted to end with a story that it's a, it's a terrible experience, but it has a good end. But to me, it was just a good example of what the grace of God is in our life. There is a man who's just in his house and his 11-year-old was playing out, out back and they lived in this condo um, apartment that had a, a shared pool and his 11-year-old came just darting into the house and said, dad, there's, there's a toddler in the pool. And his dad, you know, had full, full dad bod mode. I saw the picture of him, not an Olympic athlete, but in that moment where his son reported that to him, he turned into an Olympic athlete and turned into an Olympic sprinter, went, saw a fence in front of him. It was six feet tall and dad bod went into full rescue mode and like hurdled the fence, a six foot fence. That's impressive. Um, became an Olympic swimmer, dove right into the pool and went after this child that was not his own, not his responsibility, grabbed the child up and they later through the video surveillance of the, on the pool, they saw that that child was in the pool for three and a half minutes. And he pulled him up and the child wasn't responsive, but 15 years ago, he took a CPR class. And so he started um, hands-only resuscitation and then the child came back. And his eyes opened and he coughed the water out. And it was an incredible rescue. And the child that was in the pool, he knew he shouldn't have been around the pool by himself. He 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 snuck through the fence and he was playing where he knew he shouldn't have been. He didn't do anything to earn rescue. But there was a father who understood how important a child was and went through every hurdle, over every obstacle. Right into the mess that the child was in, and brought that child who was dead back to life. The power of grace is that it comes into our life when we are just spiritually dead and we can do nothing to earn new life. We can't do anything at all. The power of grace is that it comes into your life and it brings complete forgiveness. It will bring about complete wholeness as it works its course. But it's a grace that you did not earn. It was a grace that you received. And this grace that we receive is the same grace that we get to begin to give. And so first of all, I want to make sure you understand, at least maybe grab some more questions about grace through this of saying, have I allowed grace to actually work in my life? Has it brought me new spiritual life? Have I moved from death to life? And if I have? if I believe in Jesus Christ and I have received this grace and it's changed the way I see myself and understand myself, is it going where it should to our city, to our neighbors? What has been the effect of grace in your life, church? We're going to explore this more over the next few weeks. But today I hope if you say, it's never been internal for me, I would hope you'd grab on to this opportunity, that you would challenge God and say, God, would you work in my heart? Would you work in my life? Would you show me the power of grace? Because I'll tell you this, his grace is not without effect. It will change your today, your life, and your eternity if you place your faith and trust in what he did for you on the cross. Let's pray together. Father, we, we affirm And with our heart, we cry out to you that you are Lord. We confess you are Lord and we believe in our heart that you you were raised from the dead to show victory over our sin. And so today we believe, today we confess, And today we we ask that we would see the, the power of grace at work in our lives, the power of grace at work in our church and the power of grace at work in our city. We know that words will never do it justice but help us to experience this incredible power that we have because Jesus, you loved us so much. You died on the cross and rose from the grave. And we celebrate that new life today in Jesus' name.